Peter chapter 1. And uh, you remember we've been talking about, and I've asked you and encouraged you to read these two letters, uh, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, five, eight chapters of Scripture, 166 verses. And I hope if you have not done that yet, let me encourage you to, to read um, to read these two books in the Bible, okay? It won't take very long, but they are absolutely packed, filled with information. Let me pray because I'm ready to take off and I need to pray before I do. Okay, let's pray. Father, I thank you that we have another opportunity to worship together as the family of God. And Lord, we're here not to celebrate ourselves, but Lord, celebrate you and what you will and can do through us when we become obedient to you and seek to be holy as you are holy. And Father, I just pray that during the weeks that we have studied and will study about being holy as you are holy, Father, teach us what it means to be the holy children of God. Teach us what it means to to be like your son and minister to others and to be servants, but Lord, desiring to be obedient to you in everything that, that we do. And I just pray that you'll take these moments ahead, Father. May your Holy Spirit take control. Speak the words through me that you desire to be spoken today. And most especially, Lord, help us to pay attention to what the Word of God says. Lord, we know that Peter and, and these two books tells us that he is the author. But God, help us to understand that it was the Spirit of God that moved upon his heart and mind that led him to write these words. Thank you that these words have stood the test of history and time and even attacks by ungodly uh, people who have thought that the Word of God is nothing more than the works of man. Father, help us to know that you've got a message for us this day as we open the Word of God. And we just pray that our hearts and minds will be open to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me again read the verses that we have been reading, okay? Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 13, and I'm going to read these out of the Living Bible. So now you can look forward soberly and intelligently to more of God's kindness to you when Jesus Christ returns. Obey God because you are his children. Don't slip back into your old ways doing evil because you knew no better. But be holy now in everything you do, just as the Lord is holy who invited you to be his child. He himself has said. And again, remember, this is what God says in the Old Testament and now in the New Testament. Be, uh, you must be holy for I am holy. And remember that your heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites when he judges. He will judge you with perfect justice for everything you do. So act in reverent fear of him from now until you get to heaven. Let me repeat that phrase. From now until you get to heaven. Now, is God serious? Is he serious about this? And I hope someone's saying, why should I seek to be holy and act in reverent fear from now until I get to heaven? Well, listen to the reasons I feel that God has for us to live holy lives, beginning with verse 18. God paid a ransom to save you from the impossible road to heaven which your fathers tried to take. I haven't really dwelt on this a lot, but the people in that day, the Jewish people, and even in Jesus' day, thought they were going to get to heaven because of their good works. 
And folks, I want to tell you, that is one of the greatest lies that Satan has ever propagated. And if you think today you're going to heaven because of your good works, I've got some sad, sad news for you. The only way that you and I can be born into the kingdom of God is through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's of grace, lest any man should boast. It's not of works. And listen to what he says. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver, as you very well know, but he paid for you. And again, underscore the, the word you. But he paid for you with the precious lifeblood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him from the beginning, long before the world began. But only recently he was brought into public view in these last days as a blessing to you. Because of this, you can trust uh, you can, your trust can be in God who raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. Now your faith and hope can rest in him alone. Folks, our salvation rests not in status and education or good works, but our salvation rests in who? Christ. But now Peter is helping us understand that if we want to follow Christ, we are to live holy lives. Now, before we go any farther, there's just a little brief thing that I want to recap from last week. Before we ended last week, I was talking about this man, Peter. And folks, as you approach reading the Word of God, do you so often or do you sometimes say, well, why should I, why should I read the Bible? Just because a preacher said so or my mom and dad or the Sunday school teacher? Folks, I want to tell you, this book is the inspired Word of of God. Now, men like Peter wrote certain portions of it, but they were under the guidance of the Holy Spirit of God. No, I don't think they knew when they were recording this and writing this that 2,000 years later, people would be reading and studying this. It would be proclaimed from pulpits. It would be taught in Sunday schools. It would be taught in small group Bible studies. It would be witnessed throughout the world that this is the Word of God. Folks, they were moved to write to their generation of believers what they needed to do to serve Christ. And folks, we need to allow the Spirit of God to take what was written years ago and now it apply it to our generation and to our lives and to our church. And it is plain that the Word of God says, Be ye holy as I am holy, as the Lord is holy. And folks, let me remind you again of these things about Peter. Peter is a man who was saved by Jesus. He was called by Jesus. He was empowered by Jesus. He was commissioned by Jesus. And he was sent out by the Lord. And folks, that set can be said of us also. Peter had spent three years in close fellowship with Jesus. Peter knew that Jesus was the Son of God. He knew that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again on the third day. Folks, Jesus was with Peter and the others for those 40 days mentioned in the first chapter of Acts. It was Peter, along with the other disciples, according to the first chapter of the book of Acts, that stood, and as Jesus ascended into heaven on a cloud, heard the angels say, Why do you stand gazing into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken from you is going to come again in like manner. Peter knew that if Jesus promised he would be raised from the dead, and then the angels promised he was coming back, he knew he was going to come back. And folks, as you read these two letters, 
there's this element of expectation that Jesus Christ is coming back again. Keep all that in mind as we begin this study this morning. But Peter also knew that Jesus was without sin. Christ died on the cross. He says, I saw him with my own eyes, and one day I'll share his glory and honor when he returns. He knew that this was not a man as you and I are a man. This was God become flesh and became a man. And he also knew the truth about Jesus' teaching about the Holy Spirit, that God's power would come upon those who follow him. Not only would they be used to be a witness, but the Spirit of God would give them power to live holy, separate, different lives. And folks, we said last week that you and I cannot live holy lives outside of the presence and power of God within our life. We cannot do it on our own. Try it this week. You'll falter and fail. But if we, you and I yield to the Spirit of God and allow the Spirit of God to dwell in us, we'll be successful, not for our glory, but for the glory of the Lord. And also, also, Peter knew the forgiving love of Christ. And I think all of this conditioned what he was talking about here. He knew, as we've said, he got knocked out in the first round that night that Jesus was betrayed, but on the day of Pentecost, he stood in the power of God. And folks, there's something else I want to add this morning. This morning I was just briefly going over a couple of notes and I saw a reference about how it is thought that the, the books of First and Second Peter were written probably between 60 and 64 A.D., which would have been about 30 to 34 years after Christ had died and been raised and ascended back into heaven. It is thought that Peter and many other disciples and followers of Christ died between 66 and 68 A.D. under Nero. Peter knew, I believe, that he was going to die. And perhaps these letters were left by a man knowing that he would soon make the journey to heaven. But he wanted the church to be strong. He wanted the church to go forward with the gospel. And folks, that's what we need to hear. God wants us to go forward with the gospel. He wants his son to be alive and at work in us. He wants us to be different and set apart because we have been called to be holy as God is holy. Amen. And that's a message itself, but I'm going to give you about 15 more minutes. Okay, listen, there are five spiritual incentives to live a holy life in these verses that I read. First Peter chapter 1, verses 13 to 21. Again, because we don't have the PowerPoint up this morning, and we mentioned these last week as we closed, okay? And let me, let me give you five spiritual incentives, five reasons to live a holy life according to Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 to 21. Folks, what motivates us to live a holy life? Here are five things that Peter says. Number one, verse 13, Jesus is coming again. Number two, in verses 14 and 15, the holiness of God. Number three, the word of God, verse 16. In verse 17, number four, the judgment of God. And folks, that judgment is not against the unbelieving world that I believe that he's speaking about there, but it is the judgment of Christians who have been called to follow the Lord, but who refuse to live a life that was different for the Lord. We'll face the judgment of God. It's not losing our salvation. It's standing before the Lord who gave his all for us and saying, Lord, I'm sorry. I knew that I should have lived a holy life for you. I knew that I should have been a witness. I knew that I should have given myself to the will and plan that you have for my life. And number five, 
the love of God, verses 18 to 21, when you and I look at Jesus eyeball to eyeball, if you don't mind me saying it that way, we're going to know how much he loved us. You know, how could we not serve Jesus Christ and seek to live holy lives knowing how much he loves us? Isn't that remarkable? Isn't it remarkable? Well, folks, let's go back to the first incentive. Jesus is coming again. Let me again read uh, verse 13 to you, okay? Let me read verse 13. Again, I hope you got your Bibles open. So now you can look forward soberly and intelligently to more of God's kindness to you when Christ Jesus returns. Now, that's the Living Bible. Let me read that phrase out of several different translations. The Revised Standard, the King James Version says at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The New International Version says, when Jesus Christ is revealed. And folks, that revelation of Jesus Christ is when he comes back and the entire world knows that he is the Son of God, that he is the King of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. And folks, here's the point that I believe that Peter's trying to make. And please, again, these are words from different commentaries, not just my words, but listen to this. As Christians, we should be living in the future tense. Now, I know there's danger. There's danger in our trying to plan our lives in the future tense. But, folks, as a Christian, you and I can know where our future is headed, and that is to be with Jesus Christ forever and ever in heaven. Don't believe me. Believe the words of Jesus himself and believe the word of God. But our thinking and our action and living should be in future tense. Our present actions and decisions are to be governed by our future hope. And just think for just a second. Do you remember when you were engaged? You remember that you and your fiancé began to make plans in the light of a future wedding? Folks, you and I as Christians need to plan our lives in the light of of seeing Jesus Christ at the end of this journey. And we're going to see him according to the word of God, either through death, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with who? The Lord. Or we're going to see him through the rapture. When he comes back in the clouds and the church of Jesus Christ is taken out of the world to be with him. And folks, again, where do I get that information? Straight from the word of God. First Thessalonians. Folks, God's got a plan, and that in plan includes you and I seeing the Lord at the end of this journey. And Peter says to the church, and I want to read uh, a couple of phrases out of the Revised Standard in the King James, gird up your minds and be sober. Now, I know that expression, gird up your mind, seems strange to us today, doesn't it? But that means to have a disciplined mind. Where does Satan want to work in us? Not only in our hearts, but in our minds, doesn't he? And Satan will mess your mind up. You know what I'm talking about? Satan will get you so confused that you'll be going down the wrong path in life before you really understand it. And to be calm means to be steady and controlled. Because Christ is coming again, and God is in control we want to have a disciplined mind, and we want to be calm and steady and controlled. 
And folks, when you and I center our thoughts on the return of Christ and live accordingly, we will escape many of the worldly things that would, would destroy us and hinder us from spiritual progress. And folks, let me say a couple more words about gird your minds and be sober. In the Bible Knowledge Commentary, it says, gird your mind literally means to prepare your mind for action. Now, you know, we've been talking about how obedience to God leads to holiness. And folks, I think what Peter is saying, obedience to God, obedience to becoming holy is a conscious act of our will. Let me, let me try and explain what I mean by that. You know, so often we think our faith in Christ is, is something that's passive. We just sit around and don't do anything, right? We just sit around and say, the Bible tells me I'm saved. I ask Jesus if, to come into my heart and forgive me of my sin. I've joined the church. I've been baptized. So I'm ready to go to heaven. But folks, God wants that faith in him to be translated into actions, And we cannot become an active Christian until our wills, our personal wills, are under his control. And the next phrase, be sober, is a Greek expression that figuratively means do not be controlled by an outside circumstance or an outside force. Now think about this for just a second. When you hear the word sober, what do you first think of? Someone who's drinking. Someone who has drank too much, and they're out of control. Their mouths, their hands and feet are doing things that they normally would not do, and sometimes things that they don't even remember that they have said and done. And so what Peter is using as an example here of something controlling us outside of ourselves. Where are we supposed to be directed from, from within. Now, now just follow me for just a second, okay? From within. Now, who dwells within us as Christians? The Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit, correct? Jesus said, after I leave you, I'll send the Holy Spirit or the Comforter, the Counselor, who will be with you and dwell where? In you. If you and I are going to follow God's call to be holy, then we're not going to be letting the outside forces shape us into what the outside world wants us to be, but we're going to be letting the Holy Spirit of God control us on the inside, which will lead to our holiness. That's pretty simple, isn't it? But it is so hard to achieve, isn't it? Because we don't want to surrender control. But listen to what else Peter says in verse 13. Set your hope fully upon the grace that is coming to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And folks, if we're going to really be holy believers living for Christ, we must believe that he is coming again to give us eternal salvation. And folks, let me just point these verses out. And I've not seen this until studying these verses. Peter is strongly emphasizing the second coming of Christ in chapter 1. Let me go back and get you to look at verse 5. Verse 5, a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 7, 
at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And remember, we've already talked about how that's one of the, one of the, one of the phrases that means Jesus is coming back. Verse 9, the salvation of your soul. Folks, listen, now we live by faith, but one day we will see Jesus face to face and we will spend eternity with him. And folks, we must believe that. That must be a part of our belief. And again, folks, I'm not demanding that you do that. I'm saying the evidence is here. And Peter was convinced. And that's why I wanted to take that time to tell you about this man, Peter. Let me ask you something. If somebody told you that they were going to die on a cross, it would be hard to believe them, wouldn't it? Would anybody willingly die for something they hadn't done? Jesus told the disciples that. They struggle with it. Then Jesus said, I'm going to be risen from the dead three days later. Now, if somebody came up to you and told you that, where would you take them? To the hospital. Wouldn't you? Let's be honest. But guess what? The third day, Jesus rose from the dead. And the angel said, go get Peter. The angel says to the women, go get Peter and tell him to come see this risen Lord. Folks, if you want to know that Jesus is risen, you just say, Jesus, reveal yourself to me that you're alive. And he'll do it if you'll do it in faith. Folks, Peter knew that this man called Jesus was the son of God and the savior of the world. And he believed because he had spent 40 days with him after his resurrection. And he saw Jesus taken up into the clouds. And he heard the angel say, he's coming back again. Peter knew he was going to do it. He'd never lied before. And you know, that's what I'm banking on. Jesus never lied before. He's not going to lie to us about coming again. But let me tell you something. I, I'm getting close to finishing, okay? If you still got your Bible, flip a couple of pages to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. And let me read the first 10 verses. Of chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 3. And I'm going to read this out of the Living Bible. Again, I wish the equipment was working today so that you could see these verses on the screen if you don't have your Bible. And folks, again, this is another reason. Please bring your copy of the Scriptures, okay? But listen to this. 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. This is my second letter to you, dear brethren. And in both of them, I've tried to remind you, if you will let me, about facts you already know. Facts that you've learned from the holy prophets and from, our, from us apostles who brought you the words of our Lord and Savior. First, I want to remind you that in the last days there will come scoffers who will do every wrong they can think of and laugh at the truth. And without going off on a tangent, is that not happening in, today, in today's world? Okay, listen to verse 4. This will be their line of argument. So Jesus promised to come back, did he? Then where is he? He will never come. Why, as far back as anyone can remember, everything has remained exactly as it was since the first day of creation. Hold that thought for just a second. And obviously in Peter's day, there were people that saying that Jesus of Nazareth, he promised he's coming back. He's a liar. He's a liar. He's not coming back. Have you heard that lately? Listen to what Peter says, beginning with verse 5. They deliberately forget this fact 
that God did destroy the world with a mighty flood long after he had made the heavens by the word of his command and had used the waters to, uh, to form the earth and surround it. And God has commanded that the earth and the heavens be stored away for a great bonfire at the judgment day when all ungodly men will perish. Peter is saying, in Noah's day, did people believe? Are you kidding? Man's building a boat that's never rained before? You remember that? You know, the dew has come up from the ground, as I remember Scripture, never rained before. Here's Noah building a boat saying there's going to be a great flood. What happened? A great flood came, and God's judgment fell. Do you think God was happy with that? Absolutely not. All of us are God's creation. It, it breaks his heart for his people to suffer. But when people shake their fist at him and say, I don't believe in you, they bring the judgment upon themselves. That's another sermon. Okay, verse 8. But don't forget this, dear friend, that a day or a thousand years from now is like tomorrow to the Lord. He isn't really slow about his promised return, even though it sometimes seems that way. But he is waiting for the good reason that he is not willing that any should perish. And he is giving more time for sinners to repent. The day of the Lord is surely coming as unexpected as a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise. The heavenly bodies will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be burned up. Folks, Jesus Christ is coming back again. That's not because I'm standing in his pulpit saying it. That's because the Lord Jesus said it, and the Word of God says it. Are you and I as Christians, are we treating the concept of the coming again of Christ as a joke? Because if we are, Satan has really deceived us. And folks, I want you to hear this again from my heart. I'm not trying to demand that you become holy. That's what God demands. But he demands it because he's coming back and he wants us to be ready and as we live holy lives, guess what? Others are going to see Christ in us. I need to end the sermon, but let me tell you how I want to end it, okay? I, how long has it been, and I'm, this is going to sound like I'm criticizing myself, how long has it been since you heard a sermon on the return of the Lord? And perhaps, son, there's a lot of biblical prophecy on the TV and everything now, and I'm not knocking that one bit. Maybe you see that and you know about it. And you, But, folks, does our world live like it? You know, if we thought Jesus was coming back, we certainly wouldn't be taking the Ten Commandments off the walls of the courthouses and schools and stopping prayer. We'd have signs up that said, Welcome, Jesus. Come as soon as you can. That's what John said. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. A number of years ago, I was talking to an older lady who I know had lived her life for Christ, and she's, she's still living. But she said, you know, the second coming was talked about so much when I was a child growing up, and she gave me the name. It's a, it's a sister Baptist church. She said the second coming was talked about so much that every Sunday afternoon when I left church, I was afraid that Christ was coming back. Folks, you and I got to live, we got to walk the line between not overdoing it, but certainly not underdoing it. We've got to believe that he's coming back. 
And when he comes back, we'll be taken out of this world to be with him. <laughs> Isn't that a glorious thought? It's important that you and I live holy lives. Not, not to please me or whomever you're trying to please in your life, but to live a life that is dedicated to Jesus Christ. That's the bottom line. That's what it's all about. We get so caught up in ourselves. And I think that's one of the greatest works of Satan to destroy our witness as individuals and also as a church. We get caught up in ourselves rather than being caught up in Jesus Christ. Peter and those early disciples, they were given everything they had to the Lord Jesus Christ. That was the bottom line. They knew. They knew who he was. They knew what he had done and what he was going to do. And so they surrendered themselves totally and completely to him. That's what we need to do. That's what I need to do. And I pray that as we've studied these passages of Scripture, that's what we're going to do. We're going to be holy as God is holy. Before I pray and we have the hymn of invitation, one other thing I want to say. Are you prepared? Are you prepared for your second coming? If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I'm not trying to scare you into walking the aisle. That's not my point. But, folks, that day is going to come. There's going to come a time when every one of us, believer and non-believer, is going to stand before the Lord. We're going to bow our knee to him and confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's going to happen. That's what he says in his word. Are you ready? You remember what I read those last couple of lines? Let me read this. But he is waiting for the good reason that he is not willing that any should perish and is giving more time for sinners to repent. He is giving you time, if you're not a believer, to repent. That means to turn from sin and to trust him as Savior. If he's leading you to do that, would you do it now? Have you been putting it off? Would you do it now as he calls to you? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. And I just pray that your word will speak to our hearts. As believers, may we seek to be holy as you are holy. And Lord, if there's someone here who's not yet trusted Christ, Lord, it might not just be a young child. It might be a senior adult at the end of life's way that have been confused and think that perhaps they're going to get into heaven by some other way than the blood of Jesus. I pray, Father, that you'll speak to their heart and you'll reveal to them their need of your son. But, Lord, may they understand that his arms are open, reaching out to them, that they'll just bow in their hearts and minds and say, Jesus, I am a sinner, and I trust you as my personal Savior. Father, lead and direct in these moments of invitation, for we ask in Christ's name. Amen.